Hi friends and happy new year! Can you believe it's 2022? I have to admit I am recording this in 2021 but I know it will soon be 2022 and that kind of creeps me out a little bit because this year just went by so fast! I don't know maybe it's just me but I felt like this year just went by so quick. Anyway guys, uh, what I wanted to talk about today is handling New Year's dieting bullshit. Because oh my god, this time of the year is just high season for diet culture. You'll see the gyms filling up, and I'm not saying that going to gym is automatically diet culture, not at all. But it's not a coincidence that the gym are just filling up right now. People are setting their New Year's resolution of losing weight. it can be very frustrating. And part of the reason why this can be so frustrating for people with eating disorders is because for people with eating disorders, they might think, well, if everyone else is doing this, then why shouldn't I? Why is that person allowed to, you know, go to the gym every day and eat the keto diet or cut out gluten, but I can't do it? And I know I spoke about this in an earlier episode about managing people around you who are dieting. And it is, I'll just repeat it once again, in case you need the reminder once again. Eyes on your plate. Just because someone else is dieting doesn't mean you can. Because you have a genetic predisposition to an eating disorder. So for you, there's no such thing as just going on a diet, right? You know that your life will just spiral. you've You've been there, done that before, right? Be honest with yourself. The eating disorder loves to tell you that this time it will be different. It's kind of like a shitty abusive ex in that way, you know, oh this time, take me back, this time it will be completely different. And then you start romanticizing it and thinking, wait, that shitty relationship wasn't so bad after all. It was that bad. Same goes with eating disorder. Eating disorder loves trying to normalize itself and just be like, well, everyone else is dieting, everyone else is this and that, so you can do it as well. But again, I love peanut butter. I always recommend people to try the Reese peanut butter cups. So delicious. But if you have a peanut allergy, you shouldn't do it. (laughs) Right? Can you see where I'm going with this? You are allergic to dieting. And that can cause both grief, as in, oh my god, does that mean I can never diet again? And it can also cause relief. Oh my god, that means that I never have to diet again. All about how you see it, right? Or you might have both feelings at the same time. So for Christmas, there are, you know, some people who talk about, oh, the Christmas kilos, you know, gaining weight over Christmas. And you see the people that talk a lot about this is very often yo-yo dieters. So they are entering Christmas with quite a suppressed metabolism. And then they are engaging in, to some extent, reactive hunger, right? Hunger where they are, you know, they find themselves being very, very hungry. And they have forbidden themselves from all of these foods. And they are eating quite... A lot of them and because they're metabolic metabolically suppressed of course their weight will go up a bit right then they'll be like oh the christmas kilos and the new year new me let's lose the christmas kilos you've probably seen this behavior if you have a friend or a family member that's yo-yo dieting but then you might say well but gaining weight in christmas that is not necessarily just the metabolically suppressed yo-yo dieter experiencing that and that's true so the new england journal of medicine published a study Uh, of adults that show that the average holiday weight gain was 0.37 kilograms. That is just 
under a pound. And I want to remind you that <laughs> under a pound, right? Under a pound is essentially, that is, it doesn't even necessarily have to be actual body fat gain here, right? We know that Christmas food, it might have more sodium, for example, which might make you hold more water. It might be different foods, different, you know, lifestyle that can affect how much water you hold. And also might be a different kind of food, so it takes longer for you to digest, more food in your stomach system, stays in there for longer. You know, it's not necessarily that you're necessarily gaining um, a pound of body fat. And even if you are, a pound of body fat, that's literally like, that's what I would call a fluctuation within one set point weight range. And if everyone is gaining a pound of weight each Christmas, won't they just gain a pound every year? And then in 10 years, they have gained 10 pounds and oh my God. No, because once again, I spoke about set points before. Someone gains a little bit in the higher range of the set points. Uh, I mean, it will taper off. If someone then goes and engages in extremely restrictive dieting and is chronically yo-yo dieting, then we see what happens is that they don't really manage to stick in their set point. They will constantly lose weight and then gain back that weight and more. And here you go, yo-yo dieting. I explained to you some of these basic reminders because it can be helpful to keep these things in mind when the dieting hysteria kicks off. And just think of it this way. You have knowledge that a lot of other people don't have. Because that's the truth. A lot of people don't know this. But now you do. And that's your secret little trick. That's trick number one on handling the New Year's new me bullshit. Simple awareness of how the biology of, you know, malnutrition, starvation, weight gain, metabolism, how that works. And I mean, if you've been listening to my podcast quite a bit, you probably would have learned... Uh, a bit about this already because this is something I'm consistently talking about both here and also at my Instagram let's recover.co.uk and what I would recommend you to do as a little bit of a task is to actually write down these reminders you could write it down physically on a piece of paper or you could just write it down on the notes on your phone basically just reality check reminders about dieting for example you can write down diets don't work 95% of people regain their the weight plus more or it is completely normal for the weight to fluctuate. Or most people don't blow up during Christmas. And this fear of the Christmas kilos is actually largely um, overestimated. And even hypothetically, if someone were to gain weight in Christmas, is weight gain a bad thing? Because this is also a thing. Like, what is it about you that makes you see weight gain as a bad thing? And I know that part of the answer to that is <laughs> everything and everyone <laughs> outside there, every magazine, right? But this takes me to my second point. And that is that this could be a time where it's very beneficial to be a bit extra mindful with what kind of content you consume. I know I've spoken about this before, but I will speak about it again. It's so important that you focus on the things that you can control, right? You can't necessarily control, you know, that your mom is going on a diet, but you can control how much you choose to engage with her about that. Or if you choose to read that women's magazine that was on the table that she just read that spoke about keto ice cream. That sounds kind of gross. It probably is kind of gross. Never tried that. Never want to. <laughs> what would they put in keto ice cream? Just butter? Like frozen butter with stevia? Oh, God. Nothing wrong with butter or stevia. But I'd rather not have them in my ice cream. <laughs> 
Anyways, the point is that you can choose what kind of content you engage with, right? You can choose who you follow on social media, how long you spend looking at TikToks or Instagram posts that promote diet culture, what kind of magazines you open, what kind of articles you read. And even though you can't control the people around you, you can set boundaries when it comes to dieting conversations. And I know this is something I spoke about in uh, the last episode. Uh, The last two episodes, actually, I think I spoke about, you know, the importance of boundaries. Basically about self-preservation, right? Because that is very important. It can be very tempting to become like the family or friend group's uh, anti-diet warrior who just convinces everyone to love their bodies and pursue intuitive eating. Uh, It's not always realistic would be great if that was the case you can just you know present them with this book or article and they all change their minds some people are open to learning and some people might actually be very very grateful that you you know share that information with them but for a lot of people they're quite locked in their beliefs and a lot of people get even more locked in their beliefs when confronted with their beliefs and i've spoken about this uh, in the last episode as well if you try to challenge someone who's very locked in their beliefs what might happen is that you will end up in a debate that can be very triggering for you. So you might want to challenge uh, your dad who is just, you know, being really triggering and insisting on going to the gym five in the morning and running for two hours every day. And you find that incredibly triggering because you know you shouldn't really do the same. It might be really tempting to confront him about why this behavior isn't actually the best behavior ever to do. But what might happen is that your dad might end up being more, um, you know, confronting and seeing it as this like intellectual debate that he wants to win. So he might start basically saying the same things your eating disorder is saying to you. And this is why I say, yes, challenging diet culture can be amazing and important, but also be mindful if there is a situation where you challenging it will put you in a mental debate, mental gymnastics that you'd rather not be in. And I do think it's okay to choose self-preservation in those moments. Focus on setting boundaries with people instead of controlling other people's behavior. And this is so, so, so important because so many people think boundaries is all about controlling other people's behavior, but it's not. It's controlling your reaction to other people's behaviors. And it is about not just setting a boundary, but also enforcing it. And I know I spoke about this in the last episode about the importance of actually enforcing boundaries. You are allowed to walk out of conversations that you don't find helpful to your recovery. But I also want to be making you aware that your eating disorder can be very sneaky and your eating disorder kind of wants you to listen to these conversations. Let's be honest, it really does. Imagine you're sitting at the bus and you hear the people behind you start talking about, uh, you know, their new diet. Your eating disorder is going to make your ears just whoop, go bigger and like, oh my god, I need to listen to this. Whilst the recovered version of you know that right now, you should really just put in your headset and ignore it. So be honest with yourself if you are putting yourself in situations where you might be encountering triggering situations and also if there are some ways when you are in those situations that you can actually tap out. I'm not sure if tap out is the right word, but you know, (laughs) tap out, that's like the oyster card I was thinking, I'm out, (laughs) Uh, but like uh, exit these conversations. And I know you can't always just put on a headset, you know, I mean, it would be kind of cool though you're sitting at the dinner table you set a boundary about about dieting talk and then someone starts talking and you just pull up a massive headset and start putting on like heavy metal that would be so iconic me personally the way that i've been coping with it is mostly just leaving i i'm very good at just leaving in general 
yeah i just if i don't like conversation i'm just like come out <laughs> bye bye yeah i i'm not always the most polite person i think um if you find that a little bit uncomfortable you could be more discreet about it you can maybe excuse yourself like you're going to the restaurant right and also when it comes to handling triggering people and triggering conversations i have done quite a few um episodes about this in the past one of them for instance i think is one of the first episodes i made which is called triggered that one is basically about handling triggers and the balance between protecting yourself but also not you know uh wrapping yourself in bubble bubble wrap is it called bubble wrap bubble plastic uh to protect yourself and be completely sheltered from the world because there is a balance there But I honestly think that if you have or have had an eating disorder, you're not really obligated to engage in dieting conversations, right? Like I've been recovered for so many years. I literally work with people with eating disorders. If I had a friend that were to start talking about their diet, I rather, I just don't really think that's an interesting conversation. It's not necessarily that I would want to go on a diet myself and be triggered in that way. It's more just like, oh, you know, why were we talking about that? It's so low vibrational. (laughs) just doesn't align with my values that could be something to ask yourself as well you know are you around people who are sharing your healthy values or are you around people who share the unhealthy values as long as we grow out of certain friendships if you made friendships uh where the main thing you connected over was you know your dieting then maybe it's time to let those friendships go I also want to remind you about something that I just call the eating disorder glasses and I have spoken about this a few times before but again, I'll just recap it all now. I know a lot of this episode is me recapping things that I've spoken about in previous episodes, but I do think that right now a lot of people need to hear it. So I will say it again. When you have an eating disorder, you tend to view the world through eating disorder tinted glasses. That means that you will see a lot of dieting around you. I'm not saying that it's not happening. I'm not trying to like gaslight you into thinking, oh, nobody's dieting. Nobody's talking about that. Of course they are. But what I'm saying is that when you have an eating disorder and you have the eating disorder glasses on, you tend to notice it a lot more. I think I used this example before where it's like for, I, for instance, look at a newspaper cover. And if I have an eating disorder, I look at a newspaper cover and then I have a friend who doesn't have an eating disorder, but they're very, very into feminism. I mean, I'm as well, right? But let's just think this is someone who's uh, who, who does that as like their main work or purpose, right? I would see if I had the eating disorder, I would zoom straight into the dieting ad at the newspaper or the dieting article, whilst my friend would zoom into that sexist ad or that ad or or that article about, you know, uh, the pay gap, right? For instance, none of us is wrong here. You know, we both are observing something that are, you know, cultural problems, but we are filtering which thing we notice, and which thing is the most important for us. And us human beings do this all the time without realizing we have to, because imagine if we were to just not filter anything, we just took in everything, you know, that we would just be overwhelmed. We would just, yeah, explode. The problem with an eating disorder is that with an eating disorder, your filtering is not necessarily very productive. You are essentially filtering in things that, you know, feed the eating disorder because the eating disorder has become like the, the point of view. It's become how you view the world and view yourself. But actually being aware that you have these glasses on can be so helpful. It doesn't necessarily make it so, oh, well, now I know I have these glasses, I'll just take them straight off. It's not that easy. 
But knowing that you have them on, knowing that you have this cognitive bias in a way, can be very, very helpful. So yes, there is a lot of dieting pressure in January, but your eating disorder wants to tell you that every single person existing is on a diet on the 1st of Jan. They're not. I will just really pay attention to those who are. I want to go back to social media again, because uh, I know I keep nagging. Oh my god, you need to look at who you follow and if they're triggering or not, and go through your following. I know I keep nagging about that, but I do it for a reason, okay? I, I do this with clients. It's often one of the things I work with clients where I'm just like, okay, do a social media cleanse. Look at who you follow, who trigger you. Don't judge yourself like, oh, but I can't mute that person. If they are in my class, that would be so rude. You can mute. They won't figure out you muted them. And again, also, like I've also said before, be mindful of what you spend time looking at, especially if you're on like on TikTok or Instagram. If you spend time looking at something, even if you don't engage with it, your um, your account or the social media platform will register that you are spending time and give you more of it. Because essentially the way social media works, it wants you to spend as much time as possible on the platform. So even if you are hate-watching Keto Karen's disgusting uh, zucchini pasta recipe, Instagram or TikTok will still register that you are watching, you want more of it, and it will give you more. And if it's one thing we don't want more of this year, it's zucchini pasta. So this is why practicing some self-restraint can be very helpful when on social media. It can be difficult because sometimes in social media, it's almost like you go into this little zone, right? You're there, but not there. So use the mute button, use the unfollow button, and one thing that I often recommend, and this is kind of silly, but it, it can be very helpful. I recommend this to a few clients. That is to think about what are some things that are completely unrelated to, you know, food, body, and exercise that you find very interesting. What are some like niche things you find interesting? Some might have an interest in tattoos or makeup tutorials or, I don't know, stamp collection or puppies or interior whatsoever what are some niches that you find very interesting and then what i want you to do is to go and follow hashtags or accounts around these niches and spend some time engaging with it and i can reassure you your instagram feed will give you a bunch of this whenever i plan a tattoo i will get so many tattoo accounts up just because this is what i will spend time looking at Instagram will know immediately what I'm looking for and it will give me a bunch of tattoo pictures. And if someone were to sit next to me, they thought that I was like obsessed with tattoos because it would be like half of my newsfeed. So think if there's anything that is non-triggering for you that you can follow a tag or account about and therefore kind of trick your algorithm into giving you more of this. And this can actually be very powerful. Imagine you're opening your phone and it's all just puppies and nice candles <laughs> or whatsoever you're interested in can be a very good distraction. I won't take away all the dieting pressure, but we spend hours, very, okay, not all of us, but a lot of us, <laughs> me included, spend hours on social media every day. Uh, and, you know, if, if the consistent messaging is just the same messaging you're getting from your eating disorder, then that's not very productive to your recovery. Even if you know that it's bullshit, even if you're laughing about it and just think, oh my God, this is such crap, you're still getting it in and that's still not good because you're still getting it repeated again and again and again. And studies have shown that when someone is just getting a message in, consistent messaging in time and time again, they are more likely to actually believe it. Just consistency alone is a tool here. 
actually wrote about this in my social psychology essay. So, hee <laughs> bringing in some social psychology here. Methods of persuasion. But yeah, this is why it's so important to be mindful of the type of content you surround yourself with, even if you rationally know that it is BS. So you can read all the anti-diet culture stuff you want, but if you're constantly engaging in diet, diet culture Instagram accounts or TikToks, it still is on a subconscious level sometimes, you know, it'll infect your brain. So <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Just a tip. Just a, you know, little psychology hack. Because, you know, it has to do with values. And I know I spoke, speak about values quite a bit. Um, values is something that I think very often we think that our values shape us. And yes, they do. But we also shape our values. And we can take active steps to change our values and to focus on things that will, you know, affirm our values, strengthen our values or doing the opposite, right? Think about what values do you want to feed this year? And what values do you want to starve? Unintended. And this takes me into this week's listener question. I thought this question was very relevant for the topic uh, with, you know, new year, new me and everyone, you know, doing a lifestyle change for January. And the question goes, tips to get into a more healthy lifestyle. I'm scared of getting diabetes, etc. after an eating disorder. Okay, so first of all, I hear this a lot from people with eating disorder that they're like, oh, I'm so scared I'll get diabetes. And it's like, are you even in the risk group of diabetes? You know, diabetes is not something that just happens when you eat a chocolate, right? That That's not <laughs> that's not how diabetes works. And I say this as someone who has quite a lot of family members with diabetes. It is far more complex. And I'm not going to go too much into diabetes in detail because I'm not a doctor. I'm not specialized in diabetes, but I do know a little bit about it. And I do know that it's not just something that you just, boom, you wake up and you have diabetes because you recover from eating disorder, right? Your eating disorder loves telling you that you must stay on a restrictive diet for health reasons. But actually the health issue, if you're listening to this podcast and you have an eating disorder, then that is the health issue you're battling now, right? So I want to talk a bit about the whole healthier lifestyle in general, instead of focusing on specific illnesses, because... People have a lot of different specific illnesses they're terrified of getting with recovery. Diabetes is one of them. But overall, I want to look a bit into what is even health, right? What is health? What is a healthy lifestyle? What is healthy eating? And here's the thing. What is healthy varies from person to person. People always talk about, oh, healthy eating. It's healthy to, you know, have a salad instead of the pizza and all of those things. Well, it really depends really, really depends. If you're someone who's undernourished or if you're someone with a crippling fear of pizza, chances are having the pizza is definitely the healthier thing. Eating disorders and illness, health is the absence of illness, meaning that choosing the pizza helps promote recovery from the eating disorder and the illness, meaning that's the healthier option, right? And also we have a mental health, not just a physical health, right? If you are, imagine if you are just having the perfect physical health, but your mental health is really bad. You're not really healthy. But interestingly, what we see with things like orthorexia, an extreme emphasis on healthy eating, is that these people aren't actually healthy physically either. Nutritional deficiencies is extremely common, especially in orthorexia. Because by eating, by having this extreme focus on a healthy lifestyle, people actually end up undernourished because they start cutting out more and more foods. 
And that is because healthy is just so, it's it's just a term that is kind of, when it comes to what is a healthy food, right? If you ask a person who's on the keto diet, they will say that bacon is healthy. If you ask a vegan, they'd say that bacon is, you know, you are fast tracking towards death by having bacon. I think the only food that people agree on is like organic broccoli. No, actually it's not because there's just also these people who only eat meat. That's the only thing they eat. They don't believe in eating vegetables. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I can't think of any water. Maybe like filtered water is the only thing that everyone agrees on no wait actually not even that because then there are some people who, who are scared of what if there's like fluoride or something in the water you know something dodges in the water i don't even know uh yeah i can't think of any any specific thing that everyone agrees on so yeah again try and kind of redefine the way you see healthy what is healthy for you because i can tell you this for me personally a healthy lifestyle involves eating whatever I want whenever I want it it involves joyful movement instead of going to the gym and you know exercising until I'm feeling sick that's not healthy for me I don't really think that's healthy for anyone and also one thing that is completely neglected in the conversation about health is you know relationships and social belonging meaning purpose if you're having you know the perfect health but you are completely socially isolated that's not healthy either. I read somewhere that, you know, loneliness and social isolation, it's it, um, it's more dangerous to your health than smoking. And people just conveniently forget to look at how isolating an eating disorder can be. I also speak a little bit about this whole thing with like healthy lifestyle in the podcast episode about the fitness trap. It's one of my earlier episodes, so check that out if you haven't already. There, go a bit more in depth. That one is more specifically related to fitness, but I do think it can relate to, you know, skewed views of health overall. What is healthy for you is not necessarily the same that's healthy for someone else. Restricting food, banning yourself from food groups, excessive movement, these things aren't healthy for you. Or I would also say it's not really healthy for anyone. I have never eaten more chocolate in my life and I have never been healthier. So question your own perceptions of health and how the eating disorder is influencing those perceptions. Health is relative. And what other people are doing or not doing, eating or not eating, has nothing to do with you. So in general, stay in your own lane, ice on your plate, ice on your recovery, you got this. Set boundaries, protect yourself as much as you can, and try and think that you're actually very lucky who've seen through all of this bullshit. You know dieting is a scam, so you're not gonna engage with it. And back to the question... I will encourage you to question your own perceptions of health and what they are influenced by. Because so many people use, oh, I want a healthy lifestyle as a euphemism to restriction. So be careful that you don't fall into that trap. Happy New Year's and thank you again for being here, for listening, for sharing the podcast either on your social media or with people in your life who you think might benefit from it. Thank you for all, you know, the nice messages I get uh, about the podcast. I really, really do appreciate it. And I'm very happy to have you all here. And yeah, wishing you all the best for 2022.